Today we're talking to an amazing mum all about her family's healing journey from devastating trauma. Sinead Soft's life changed forever the moment a house fire engulfed her baby Elizabeth as she slept in her cot. Elizabeth suffered third-degree burns over 60% of her body. Since then, she has undergone more than 70 operations at Birmingham Children's Hospital and is still undergoing grafts, reconstructive surgery and physiotherapy. She and her family face the world with smiles on their faces, determined to make the most out of every day. Find the positive in every situation. It's very easy to find the negative in lots of things in ourselves and the things we do in life. And I think there's always a positive there, even in the most desperate of situations. You just have to look for it. Welcome back to Grummy Mummies. My name is Zoe Chamberlain. I'm a journalist, author and mum. I launched Brummy Mummies as a community for families to help people to connect both online and in person. My goal is to share with you stories from the most inspiring mums and dads to help you find out how they juggle family life and everything that comes with it. I met Elizabeth and her family at the Pride of Birmingham Awards where she was named a Child of Courage. She is a confident, enthusiastic and incredible little girl who has raised more than £200,000 for the hospital by running a mile a day for 26 days. I wanted to know more about this amazing family, their enormous journey into recovery and how they find their strength and solace. Hi Sinead, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Obviously on the day of the fire, your life just changed forever. Could you tell us briefly what happened that day and, and in the aftermath of that? Yeah, sure. Um, it was back in May 2014. I had, um, we were living in the Middle East in Qatar. I had four children. Um, Elizabeth was the youngest. I had just put her down for a nap, walked down the stairs within the space of, before I'd even got to the bottom of the stairs, I heard her cry, which was extremely unusual for Elizabeth. And I always say if it had been one of the other children, I probably would have let them cry. As you do, you kind of, you know, you leave them to cry. But because she never cried, I went straight back upstairs. When I went straight back upstairs, the, literally the whole room was on fire. Her bed was on fire. The room was on fire. Um, everything. It was um, it just a disaster. Just the blink of an eye. I always, I always liken it back to... You know, those ads you used to see at Christmas time when a Christmas tree would, you know, kind of go up just... Yes. It, it was just that quick, that instant. Um, so, yeah, so she was obviously, uh, she was on fire at that point. I took her out of the cot, passed her down, called an ambulance and just everything just kind of unraveled from there. Just pandemonium and devastation in the blink of an eye. And, it, and, and what was it that had caused the fire? It was, um, it was a faulty air conditioning unit. So obviously it's very hot in the Middle East. And that time of year, it's about 45 to 50 degrees. So the air conditioning unit was on in her bedroom. I, I, from, from kind of in layman's terms for simple people like me, there was, it was faulty wiring. And I, it was described as a ticking time bomb. So, it, you know, but obviously we didn't know. We rented, rented a, a beautiful villa in, you know, what we thought was a, a safe home. And um yeah, the blink of an eye, it was just all all gone. So you were whisked straight over to Birmingham Children's Hospital? No, no. First of all, we went to the, the local state hospital in, in Doha. 
um, Hamad Hospital. And within a very short period of time of arriving there, they told us that Elizabeth wouldn't survive if she was to stay in, in this country. And we were to try and, ev- you know, kind of get her evacuated as, as soon as possible, which isn't, I found out, an easy task. She was, it, it took five days to get her out of the country. There was promises of beds, all sorts of places from Boston to Paris to all over the place. But there's very few places that treat burn injuries that extensive on children so small. We were eventually flown to London and from there transported up to Birmingham. So in the UK, there's only two places that treat burn injuries as severe as Elizabeth's, which is Bristol and Birmingham. So we were so lucky to to get a bed for her. And what was the impact of that on you as a family? I mean, you have three other children. It must have been so devastating for all of you. It's the immediate impact. It's just, it's, you know, it's devastating. It's everything we owned was destroyed. Our family was broken up. My other three children stayed living in Qatar for about three weeks, two, three weeks, I think, before we could get them out. My sister had flown over from Ireland to sit with them because we didn't have any, obviously we didn't have any family over there. And we just abandoned everything, our home, our lives, our our other children, our jobs. And how did you as a mom, try to comfort and support and reassure your children, particularly when you were feeling so devastated yourself? I think probably strangely, having other children helped because, you know, as as a mother, when something so devastating happens, you just want to curl up in a ball and, you know, lie with whoever needs you at that time. And not being able to do that, obviously, is, um, you know, enough. Daniel and Amelia, who were six and, and four at the time, we dropped them to school that morning and never picked them up and didn't mm. see them for two, three months afterwards. So it was very... um very traumatic for the children but I suppose as a mother you you know you you put everyone well you try you put everyone in front of yourself um you think you're you're doing the right thing at that moment in time um I've probably done the wrong things lots of times um they're probably when they're teenagers they'll come back and tell me all the things I've done wrong but I don't know I just as a mother that's what you do isn't it I think you just put everyone in front of yourself and just and just try and try and do the best you can in a horrific horrific time and horrific situation. And Elizabeth has gone through so many operations and so much treatment. How did you all start to kind of recover in a healthy way? And I guess that's a, a journey that's full of up and downs. Yeah, I think recovery, that was not something kind of for two months we even considered. It was not even something, you know, it was survival, I guess, for for all of us, um, you know, and and every day, you know, you take one step forward and ten back, and and that kind of went on for probably two, three months. So we never, probably for about three months, we never even considered the future. We literally just lived day to day, um, and then when we got to a point where we, you know, we they'd kind of told us Elizabeth would, you know, hopefully make it, you know, a good recovery. That's when we started to. Um, make plans I suppose to find school for the other children to find a home to live in because we lived in um, Ronald McDonald House in the children's hospital for about five months while our other children were in Ireland so you know when we got to that point where we kind of felt we could we could kind of make roots we decided to stay in Birmingham and you know they'd welcomed us welcomed us as their own and I don't know the recoveries it's, it's really hard I suppose it's um we've got different 
different ways of dealing with things. Liam's was to go back to work. He couldn't wait to get back to work, I suppose, just for, um, you know, some normality. For me, the recovery was probably helping the children settle in to, a, a, you know, a strange country. They'd never lived here before. You know, it was, I mean, we always said we couldn't even have picked out Birmingham on a map of the UK. Um, so for our other children, I think the recovery was trying to get them settled, make, you know, roots here, make friends here, be part of the community, which we've been, you know, we, we ended up living in, in Kings Heath and we've stayed here and we couldn't have asked for anything better, really. Um, as I said, they embraced us, looked after us and loved us as, as one of their own. Um, for me, my recovery is, and it's, it's going to sound really bad as a parent, but it's removing myself from family life. Even if it's only for 30 minutes to go for a walk with the dog or to go to the gym or just do something outside, outside family life is, is how I refresh myself and deal to go back and start all over again. And how have you helped Elizabeth to come to terms with and, and cope with her burns as she's got older? Because uh, she was so, she was only six months, wasn't she? She when it was. Happened, so she's yeah. never known anything different. No, she doesn't know anything different. Which you know, in some ways, I mean, there's, there's positives and negatives to everything. In some ways, I feel it's better because she doesn't know any different. But in other ways, I feel I, I wonder sometimes what sort of person she would be if she'd already had an opportunity to form a personality and, and how would those burns have impacted her if she was slightly older? Um, mm. Because I feel like her personality in some ways was kind of formed around her experiences because she was so young. I think from a very, we made a very conscious decision to involve her as much as we could within the community. And when we decided to live in, you know, to, to stay in Birmingham, live in Kings Heath, before she was even discharged from hospital, I was taking her to play groups in the area. And I mean, she was heavily, heavily bandaged. You could only see her eyes, you know, at that point. And as difficult as it was, with obviously with people staring and asking questions and, you know, mostly out of kindness, just wants to, you know, want to know what happened to her. I think we felt as parents that we wanted to, her to be involved with as much as possible within the community, because these are the people that she would grow up with. These are the people she would go to school with, that she would you know, go along to senior school to, and, you know, I suppose when people know you, it becomes, it's it's new people that experience Elizabeth that, you know, usually have a problem with, you know, her appearance or are curious sometimes. It's not always a problem. Whereas we thought if we got a lot of that out of the way and made roots within, within somewhere that it would, um, I suppose, make it easier for her when she did start school, that it wasn't, there'd be some children that would be familiar with her um, that could say, oh, that's just Elizabeth you know, we went to play group together or nursery or so she's done everything from dancing to gymnastics to swimming to football, you name it, she's done it. Um and, and luckily she's gone along with with everything that we that we've asked her to do. Oh, she's absolutely amazing, isn't she? She's just so confident and enthusiastic about everything and so wise for her years. Where do you think she finds this strength? And do you think it'll help to empower her with everything she chooses to do in the future? I think we've, we've, we have tried really hard. And as I say, you never know as a parent whether you're doing the right or wrong things with, with your children. But for Elizabeth, we've tried really hard to build her confidence and, and like that surround her with people who will big her up and stand up for maybe when she needs it. At the moment, she's well able to stand up for herself. She doesn't need, she doesn't need an army of people. But I, I guess 
we all, you know, the world can be amazing, but it can also be very, very cruel. And having such a visual difference, um, you know, it gives you uh, people a target, obviously. So we've always had in the in the back of our mind that if we, you know, surround ourselves with people, positive people, that in the army of people that maybe come along to break her down, she'll kind of be beyond that at that point. She'll kind of have built that confidence, built that resilience. I, I always feel with any child that you can tell them 20,000 times a day that they're amazing and they're beautiful and they're funny or not even just a, a child anyone you can tell them the most positive things but it's that one negative thing that will stick out that you remember you remember as a child being called fat or being called short or you don't remember all the the wonderful things that you are so I suppose for us we've every day we tell all our children but probably more so Elizabeth you know you've you've one person has said something negative to you you've got to remember all the hundreds of nice things people say to you which is it's really hard isn't it it's um we, we tend to focus on the on the bad in ourselves all the time which is we try and, and teach Elizabeth not to do and, and I read a quote recently and it was these people who who give you kind of bad opinions you wouldn't go to them for advice so why mm. do we listen to why do we listen to the negative things that people that people say to us, we should be asking advice of people who big us up, people who are positive, people who are strong. So we've worked really hard to surround her with those sort of people in the hope that the future she'll be well able to fight her battles. And she's eight now. So how, how did she get on with starting school? Brilliant. Um, she's yeah, she's eight. She's got lots of friends. She's um, she's the same as any other little girl. I'd imagine she's a a snitch in school she's a friend one minute she's not friend next minute she's just the same as any other little girl in school probably the part that that she as she gets older she's struggling with is um as she's moved up key stages in school you are exposed to different children so the older children will all know Elizabeth but when you get new children in the school it's like starting all over again for her because you get the stares and you know out of curiosity the stares you know the questions and it's it's kind of a period where she's back to the beginning again of, you know, having to explain the story or I suppose cope with attention, unwanted attention, I suppose, for her because she just wants to be a normal little girl, just having fun, running around, you know, causing trouble, doing what she shouldn't be doing. But she's already so extraordinary in everything she's achieved, isn't she? I mean, she's raised more than £200,000 for Birmingham Children's Hospital by running a mile a day for 26 days. And that included when she was in isolation doing 73 laps of a garden. Is that right? That's right. I was just like, where where did that idea come from? Well, she'd had some surgery in, um, I think it was about Easter time. And her surgeon, who's been her surgeon since day one, he's he's fantastic. And he said, why, why don't you do some fundraising? We need a laser machine. It would be amazing for, you know, lots of children, including Elizabeth. Um, they don't have this facility available for children. Well, they didn't at the time. Um, they have it in the, in the adult hospital, but not for children. And we just we just said, yeah, yeah. You know, we were in the middle of dealing with kind of a child post-op covered in bandages. But it's kind of in the back of your mind all the time. They need this equipment. What well, you know, what can we do? And we knew it cost about between one hundred and thirty thousand and one hundred and fifty thousand pound. So I'm a very much um, a not planner. So I don't plan for anything but what I'm doing in the next five minutes. It's it's a really bad, really bad trait. Um, 
Oh, it's nice to live in the moment. Oh, well, I, I don't think my husband agrees, but <laughs> he's, he's very much a planner. So we're the total opposite, um, which maybe it works well. But we, it, well, it was me literally on the on the last day of June. I just said, well, it's a new month tomorrow. Why don't we do something? And I just said, what do you fancy doing? And Elizabeth said, true Elizabeth style, I'll run a marathon in a day. You know, it's not like I'll run a marathon over. Um, this is like a seven-year-old little girl at the time. So we kind of broke it down into to pieces and it was a mile a day is what she would do. It started off great. Within a couple of days, she was um, a child in her class had got, unfortunately got COVID. And at, the, at that period of time, it was a 10 day isolation. So again, Elizabeth style, she was like, it's fine. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do the garden. So she measured the laps of the garden, which we've got a really tiny garden. It was 73 laps. She got everybody involved from the neighbours where it was really hot in the middle of the summer. They were hosing her down. They had music playing. We've got, um, you know, we've got fantastic neighbours all around us. Um, so everyone kind of got involved. Then she went back to school and we had all sorts of plans. We were going to do some runs in iconic Birmingham landmarks to kind of make it a bit more interesting and to gain more attention for the fundraising. So, you know, the conservation park and then we could tag them and then it might kind of spur people on to be a bit more interested but she was only back in school on the second day I dropped her in the morning and by quarter past nine I had a phone call to come pick her up that somebody was positive for COVID oh dear and I got back down to the school and it's, you know it's dreadful because you know some poor child had got COVID but all I was thinking was I can't run around that garden anymore I, can't run that garden. <laughs> I just can't do it so when I got to the school her teacher was crying I was crying we were all crying for different reasons, but I was crying thinking, oh my God, how are we going to do this? Another 10 days. But she did it. Elizabeth was the only one who did every single mile. We all kind of drew straws every day. Who was going to, you know, who was going to go with her? It was like, oh, I did it yesterday. It's your turn. Oh no, it's your, you know, so she was just amazing. Tried to, tried to jazz it up a bit. And um, we did a fancy dress some days. Her, her, she's big into drama and she's in, um, she's in a lovely drama group. And they had arranged a big um, run in, the, in our local park, in Kings Heath Park. And she missed it because she was in isolation. So um, her her dad and um, siblings did it with all the other children. And, and we FaceTimed. So while me and Elizabeth did around the garden, they did it around the park. So it, it was really nice. And, you know, it was nice to be involved. But it was, I won't say it was easy because it wasn't easy. No, gosh, it's an amazing achievement. Absolutely fantastic. So Elizabeth was named as a Child of Courage at the Pride of Birmingham Awards, um, and you must be so proud. Did she enjoy being a VIP at the event and meeting uh, celebrities like Liberty Poole and Amy Dowden and Connor Ball? Oh, she she absolutely loved it. Um, I think she was very overwhelmed on the day, and I think it was the following day that it, it kind of, I suppose for all of us, not just her, it kind of hit, it kind of hit home a little bit. Um, she had an absolute ball, though, just just the whole. Um, I mean, she's big into everything, everything and anything. But just to have um, somebody, you know, the guys from Strictly Come Dancing and and Dancing on Ice was just like a dream come true for her. It was it was just lovely. The whole experience was um, it was just lovely from beginning to end. We all enjoyed it. It was I mean, we, we all think she's fantastic. But just when other people do it, you know, you kind of stop and think. I think I said to you on the night you get involved in the daily humdrum of life of, you know, pick up your clothes, make your lunch, do you, everything that, you know, parents do. And just 
to stop for a second and actually realize how amazing she really is and to be celebrated and all the children were celebrated which was really important to to me and Liam because you know they get left out a lot um Elizabeth gets a lot of attention and that can be negative attention or positive attention um it's still attention that's not on them so the older two understand William's only a year older than Elizabeth so it can be quite hard for him at times so I mean he he just worked that room like <laughs> like a celebrity going around in his little tux he had an absolute ball so it was it was really special and it was even more special that we were um you know all the children were included and made feel made feel important so it was yeah it was we couldn't have asked for anything anything better and Elizabeth drunk you know coke all night so she had like six bottles of coke one after each other and was <laughs> running up and down the stage and her and Liberty were on the stage making um confetti I don't know what they were doing throwing it up in the air they, they had an absolute ball oh that's wonderful so we have a series of questions that we ask all of our guests so what would be the two things you would tell your 18 year old self if you had the chance find the positive in every situation would probably be you know, my first, it's, it's very easy to find the negative in lots of things in ourselves and the things we do in life. And I think there's always a positive there, even in the most desperate of situations. You just have to look for it. Um, sometimes it's harder to find the, the positive, but I think it's always there somewhere. You just have to sometimes dig a bit deeper. So that'll be probably the first thing. The second, well, probably uh, buy Bitcoin. <laughs> I'd be a bil- billionaire by now. I've I've joined it too late so yeah buy bitcoin that would be my second one (laughs) brilliant and what are three things that you love to do every day you've already said how you know it's nice to get a bit of space for yourself and how important that is what kind of gives you a great routine and start and end to the day I love bed this is this is I love I love a nana nap it's like my favorite my favorite part of the day I'm never at my most happiest I don't think that when I'm in bed so probably starting my day I I've only very recently I've 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 started to read some positive affirmations every morning which was something I was never never a big fan of but only of recent times probably the last nine months I've definitely slowed down on my life and um and taken more time it's more time for self-care for me which I always saw as being very overindulgent and, and selfish but I think I think it's really important as parents. It's taken me a long time to realise my eldest is 14 now. And I think it's taken me this long to realise that if I'm not healthy, you know, I can't be a good mother. I can't be, you know, I can't be present. So, yeah, I've tried to I've tried to definitely I'm taking more time for me. I do the affirmations. I've started to do practice some mindfulness, which again was something I'm a goer. I'm always on, you know, I'm always busy. I thought mindfulness was something that was, um, again, a bit lazy lying down and, you know, kind of doing nothing. Um, whereas I was kind of always on the go. Um, so I've started literally only in the last probably nine months, um, I've started to practice yoga. I'm not very good at it, but I do try. And it's just something away. It's some, just something away from and something where you stop and think, and also reading. I've tried again in the last kind of six to nine months. I've definitely, I'm, I'm doing a lot more reading. I'm listening to a lot more podcasts, which is something again, I'd never done before. And audiobooks, something I, I do a lot of walking with my dog. So audiobooks I listen to a lot. So yeah, they're, they're probably the things that, um, that I love to do every day. But again, they're, they're new things. It's constantly changing from, it was boxing at one point. I love to box because that was how I dealt with, with things. But now 
everything slow down and um yeah I'm a lot more taking a lot more time for me I think that's so important. As you say, you need to look after yourself so you can look after the kids, don't you? And I think every parent needs to do that. Yeah, I think I think though, like that as any parent, you just well, I always felt it was like that self-indulgent, as I said, or, or, you know, it's selfish or, you know, there's a million things you could be doing. Like, oh, I could put on that washing. I could do some ironing. I could run to the shop. I could pick up a child, whatever it is. But just to be able to um, to be able to do those things properly. I think it's really important that we look after ourselves. But as I say, I'm, I'm, I am very new to it and I'm still learning. And I think even if it's just five minutes every day, just to stop and, um, you know, evaluate. I, I try and do the same at night. I try. I'm not always very good at it because I do. As I say, I love sleep. So I um, I, I do generally fall asleep quite early. But I do try and, and sit even for two minutes just to think about how the day went, how it could have gone better you know the positives of it you know maybe how tomorrow could be better maybe I could shout less I could you know be calmer whatever it is I do try and evaluate but that's as and when I can stay awake very valuable thing to do so what would be your advice to any family that's dealing with any kind of trauma I think trauma is so it's so tricky I think for me I've spent I've I've spent the last as you know kind of seven years probably motoring through trauma I think everyone deals with it in different ways and, and that's why I've probably got to the point of in the last nine months where I've started to to be a bit more mindful I think it's very different for everybody that's what got me through it was motoring along but actually you know I think probably I think I think it, trauma is the potential to, to break up anybody I think it's the potential to break up a family to break up marriages, to break up you know, relationships, just just every you know, it's very easy to withdraw, to blame each other, to um, yeah, it's it's just so easy, and it can go one way or the other. We made a very conscious decision. I don't think it's something that happens by accident. We made a very conscious decision to stick together. I think we were apart for so long that I suppose it, it gave us that kind of it gave us a snapshot into you know how life could be apart, and we didn't like it. As much as, you know, I like a break from the kids, I didn't like being apart from them. So I think it's it's made us stronger than it used to be, definitely, without a doubt. We have our ups and downs like anyone else. We scream, we shout, we, you know, but we've made a conscious decision to to stick together. And it's definitely, it's it's the, the my father-in-law said to me last night, and, and, you know, they've had their own family, you know, problems as well with, with, with disability within the family. And he just said, it's, you know, it's a binding. Trauma can be binding for a family. But then at the same time, I believe it can be a, you know, it can pull you apart. But it's making those conscious decisions. I think talking is always the best thing. I didn't talk probably for a long time. And now, as I say, I've slowed down. I'm, you know, I'm, you talk about things. Talking is definitely the best for everything. Yes, and getting the children to talk as well. Yeah, really important. Important to, to um, we've always been open and honest with the children, and I mean they're very open themselves. They're very um, practical. They're quite grown up, I suppose, for their age. Um, they've spent a lot of time hanging around hospitals, hanging around with adults. So it's um, yeah, they're they're very open, very honest with us, and yeah, which is sometimes you know sometimes yeah they're open and honest. They'll tell me tell me when I don't look good or tell me when I've got a spot in my face or, you know, I've plumb weight. <laughs> it's got pluses and negatives. But yeah, it's, um, I think trauma is, I think how you deal with it, you never know. You just never know. And it's survival at the beginning. And then 
it's taken time to stop and look and just realize what's what's actually gone on and it's taken me this long to realize what we've been through over the last kind of seven years and you you should be so proud of everything that you all have achieved I mean we just you you struck us at the pride of Birmingham awards as just how what an amazing family you are and so positive throughout it's just a joy to meet you all and thank you so much for talking to me today thanks for having us thank you You can read Elizabeth and Sinead's full story on our Brummy Mummies Facebook page and on the Birmingham Live website. This is a laudable production brought to you by Brummy Mummies and Birmingham Live. You can download or stream the podcast on all major platforms, including Spotify and Apple. Be sure to follow our Brummy Mummies Facebook page for lots more family information. And whilst there, sign up for our free newsletter to make sure you never miss an episode. See you next time.